Yeah, when it comes to the content saturation that um, it got me thinking, um, how many people have used YouTube and podcasts to replace their regular everyday daily news that they would watch like on like network TV? Um, is that is that something to consider as well? You know, it's a reason why a lot of podcasters and content creators make so much content um, that they adopt an attitude of like, you know, we're the alternative media, uh, you know, we're, we're like breaking news, so we have to go and speak on, on this particular issue. Is that, is that something to consider as well? Well, they've replaced uh, TV entirely, and um, it's, uh, so I, I've mentioned this guy in the last stream, but there's this, uh, I guess he's a social critic, his name is John David Ebert, he's a uh, media studies guy uh, and a metaphysician and um, he he wrote uh, I guess kind of um, he he's yeah he's a cultural critic I guess and he's written a couple books on uh, you know um, of, of course media and one is called the new media invasion I, I haven't read the book but uh, I've seen, uh, I guess, interviews with the guy and uh, sort of prom promotional stuff. And he's describing uh, how, uh, you know, Twitter works or how Instagram works or anything like that. And then he's talking about the Internet as sort of this uh, giant that consumes all media. So um, it, it's, it's weird to listen to, I guess it would be helpful to listen to him and how he uh, describes the evolution of media, like from stained glass to TVs and, you know, that kind of thing. I haven't read, uh, his, I haven't read his stuff, but from what you're describing, it reminds me of an experience that I kind of had when I used to blog and stuff, is a lot of people used to talk about uh, blogging as something that was going to replace, like newspapers and stuff like that, but then someone made a good point. It's like, what do bloggers do all the time? All they do is comment on or put clips of or put block quotes of something that was on CNN to put like a five minute clip and then write about it under it like you know bashing it or get something from the newspaper and critique the thing in the newspaper and it was like blogs do very little original reporting or content creation they tend to comment on other media so they're kind of like secondary they, they can never really uh, replace it yeah, it's aggregation, right? Yeah, but, uh, aggregation. yeah, yeah. And what you described about the internet being something that consumes all of the media sounds kind of similar yeah, like to all, that idea. They all get uploaded into the internet, and then you like you re like it recontextualizes them into yeah. something that you like have on your laptop and you find through you know Google or whatever. And, and I, I guess like it's kind of like instead of having a uh, cabinet where you have a bunch of you know. VHS tapes or whatever, or you know DVDs, like you've got the internet, and then everything is on there. And I, I that I'd say that was uh, one of his points. An another point that he made is um, uh, sort of the history of different uh, cultural trends. Like you guys are talking about, like cultural trends being exhausted. For instance, uh, he 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 was talking about classical music, and you know you had Mozart. And you know, sort of these early classical musicians, and you just couldn't write the music fast enough. There, it was like a new form, 
and you know this new type of music and there's so much of it like think about duke ellington and like as a jazz musician just having this like huge um you know discography um as a band leader and 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 all of this and then uh you know back to the classical musicians you get to beethoven and you know it's harder to make new stuff you know so much has been done before that um you know they're struggling to come up with new music in this form i think think one thing that uh we haven't discussed that can't be discounted is the impact of the phenomenon of binge watching and the way in which you know the opportunity to consume a, a, a television show in one sitting or over a few days i mean even going back to before streaming when things were available on demand i think that you know, making having that become such a, a normal thing really has changed the way people think about consuming media as a whole. And I think it feeds into this idea of, you know, the the drive for constant freshness, constant content. You just consume so much in such a short period of time in a way that sort of creates these, you know, in, in sort of strange internal histories. I mean, I even think about Champagne Sharks. I mean, I've been listening to the show since the beginning. And there's this whole internal history of the show, both, you know, episodes in the beginning, the middle, and where we're at now. And it seems like a lifetime to me in many ways, but it's only been a few years. But because I've sort of, you know, I've listened every week and gone back and listened to other episodes, it's it's created this sort of very custom, for my own media consumption, a customized timeline. And I think binge watching in a parallel way feeds into that as well. Sometimes I'll watch a series two or three series in a month go through the entire series whereas that would have lasted over a whole year if i would even if i would have watched them all at all which in well, most cases i wouldn't have watched them all yeah but a counterpoint to that like they always they also dragged out those series on purpose to like the writing that went into those tv shows back then was also meant to drag out those shows for as long as they could so they could milk out the maximum value out of it yeah. Like, uh, totally. For example, anime but series are a really good example of that, where they just have these never-ending shows that go on for like 900 plus episodes, just so they can just milk it. And you know, like there's editors that are get, they're being told, yeah, yeah, make this scene that like is actually like five seconds, make it last like 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's like oh, a two-minute Vegeta fight that'll last. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good example. But 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 I think the an- I think the anime had a particular reason for it. It's not. I mean, Game of Thrones also had that kind of thing going for it yeah, with the dragon yeah. species. Yeah, yeah, but but they both had different circumstances as opposed to a regular show in that they were adapting something that they were stalling on because um. The, yeah, but even those series that are like originally written, those manga, were are being told like, yeah, you know those plot points, make them last another fifty chapters. Yeah, we're shown in jump editors. You're gonna tell, you're gonna you're gonna write what we tell you to. Oh, oh, we're, I mean, I mean, they were telling him like how long to keep the series. thing going, but it still moved at a decent clip, whereas it moves at a excruciatingly slow clip on in the anime because they have to give the uh, manga some lead time, but. The one thing I'll say about manga can be slow as well. Trust me. Yeah, some some manga can go on a little slow. uh, Where even editors are are sort of like, hey, you got to cut this down. You got to speed this up a bit. Yeah. I I, I mean, I'm only using the the Dragon Ball example because I've actually read the the whole manga. And 
that one moves at a good clip. I mean, compared to some of the ones they have now, I agree with you. But but this is kind of the point I want to get at is these new models kind of change how you write things. Because I think now what's happened with the newer manga and anime is that now because of what happened with Dragon Ball Z and these problems become part of the process, now people go into it thinking we have to give... Like, I'm writing my manga now with the idea of it being adapted and me dragging it out and me getting a 15-year run like Toriyama did. I want the Toriyama model. I want to retire a legend. So it was like Toriyama didn't know how long things was going to last. He was ready to quit for like a long time. And he was being told... So he actually wrote at a pretty fast clip and he gradually started doing it slower after the show happened, right? And, and that's what things happening with binge-watching. Like, for example... I'm looking at Star Trek The Next Generation now, and I never watched it before, but because it's written on a weekly basis, and, it's not, and it was written when no one even thought of collected series on VHS or Blu-ray, much less streaming, where you can just sit down and sit on your ass and watch all day. So each episode is kind of written to be a full meal in and of itself and to hold you over for another week. So, so I'm sitting down, and it's actually hard for me to binge watch it because yeah, it's dense. And, and it's interesting that you make that point. I mean, I'm a big TNG fan, and I, re- I rewatch it usually every few years, the entire series, and it always blows my mind. There are things that happen in one season that I think happened over years that I, I keep thinking, like, oh, no, that was in a different season. So many things. It's such a. I mean, and it's not just Next Generation. Uh, there are other shows as well that follow that 22, 24 season format that used to be common. Things that I thought happened over years actually just happened in one season. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they kind of want to have a beginning, a middle, and end. There's a kind of like a, a plot for every single episode. Instead of making like one plot last like a six episode arc, you know? So, um, but now that they actually make shows with the idea of being consumed in one day. Like, hey, we're going to write a full season. The full season is going to be uh, one giant show, and we have to make it so that it's watchable. Uh, when it's all said and done, after all the seasons are done, we want to have a show that people are going to watch six seasons of in a, in a weekend. You start writing differently. And I think that's what happened with the manga people now, is that, um, and even within Toriyama's career, um, you saw from beginning to end, like, like like before it became Dragon Ball Z when it was just Dragon Ball, um, things um, stories didn't like last that long. By the Cell Saga, by the Boo Saga, it's incredibly uh, drawn out, and you know he the anime has almost superseded the manga. The manga just basically created to feed uh, the the anime. Like, like someone used this show as an example. The picture I have to make this show. Uh, to, Someone said, T, you have to do 20 hours. Uh, do the whole year's worth in one one drop. You, you know, it's going to drop 20, uh, 100 hours in, in one drop. Man, the way I would do the show would be so different. It would just be the most drawn out. Like, like the three or four of us would be sitting around trying to figure out how to drag things out. And how to how we can get 100 hours in, in one um sitting we would stretch out things with guests we would um i mean the whole creation of the show would be different and i think that's kind of um another problem now is that um it becomes a cycle like 
the binging that I sound info describes um, changes how we consume stuff. But then once how we, the way we consume stuff changes, then how we produce it changes to match the new way of consumption. And then it just becomes like this kind of it's uh, a feedback. cycle. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feedback loop because the way Netflix writes these shows now, they're just horribly paced. It's like, it's like junk food because it's hard to binge eat nourishing food like you know um people binge watch people binge eat junk food and empty calories it's much easier to binge, to binge eat um junk food like like you rarely see people binge eat like uh five bowls of salad and and, and quinoa you know vegetable uh they, they uh they tell you you're full and you, you stop eating because you're satiated and um it reminds me of uh, like a comparison people make between uh, you know uh, English television and then American remakes, and how oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. remake is like just <laughs> ten seasons. <laughs> Doesn't know when to end. Yeah, and yeah. the British seasons like oh we have three episodes a season and there's five. So, yep, you know yep. less less episodes, yeah, like less seasons. Exactly what happens with The Office. That's exactly right. What, what yeah. is he, uh, saying? Uh, uh, six seasons in a mu- in a movie. I think uh, Dan Harmon uh, uh, put that out there with like Community or something like that. Six seasons in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what all this pacing reminds me of, though. And this is going to be t- topic uh, because fuck this guy. R. Kelly's trapped in the closet. I don't know like how many <laughs> how many episodes they stretched out the like who's going to be in the closet. Like um, that that was pretty fun. It, it, it was all one beat. It's all one beat too. That's the best thing. Like so, it's very easy. Um, one song's worth of, of beat making uh, created how many hours of music and video? Well, I think that sort of serialization of music was, you know, sort of fresh at the time. Putting aside the quality, I mean, people, you know, were sort of curious to see how ridiculous it was going to get. You know, what, what was going to happen next? But you know, it had its time and place, and you know. That was it. But also, it wasn't even really a song because how many people you know like bump in the closet in their in their headphones like 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 working out to it. It was, you know, kind of its own thing, I guess. Well, like a Tyler Perry film, but music. <laughs> Medea for R and B. Not to shift gears a little bit here, but speaking of um, sort of short run shows, uh, something I've been rewatching a show that I love, and I know T you mentioned it on Twitter some time ago. But I've been rewatching it, a UK show called Peep Show. I don't know if anyone else is. Yes. Yeah. That that show, I've seen, rewatched it maybe three or four times. I used to do a lot of work in the UK in the early 2000s, so I actually got introduced to it there. Still laughing out loud when I watched that show. Yeah, I discovered it very recently. I only saw it for the first time last year, and there was no problem, like, watching it. Like, there's some shows where I watch it and it's like 10 years or more old and I can still enjoy it but I have to mentally tell myself okay I have to, I have to cut it some breaks because you know I have to remember what was going on, <laughs> the, on at the time Peep Show you don't have to do that it could just come out today and minus the fashions and the tech, and some of the technology um, the humor still works it, it works better than a lot of new humor to be honest to me yeah oh yeah 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 it, it, it's aged really well uh 
And there's a, a another. You guys show. have no issues watching that because everyone, every time I want to get my friends to watch it, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to mentally prepare myself for that, dude." I'm like, "Um, it's a TV show." Um, prepare yourselves how? Because they find it what depressing. The humor's not right. Are they American? Yeah, the, they cringe too hard at it. I guess oh, they they imagine themselves as uh, Mark and. Uh, oh, I don't know why, but but they don't have they don't have that issue with something like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, I th- no, I think they they do, but I I don't know, because I've I've never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> to be fair, because it just feels like the American version. Yeah, it's like the only American version that actually gets it, because the guy that is the star is supposed to be the butt of all jokes, like the guy that's starring is supposed to be the loser. Yeah, uh, another show that is both still fresh and also prescient was uh one of the first shows put out by Charlie Brooker. It's called Nathan Barley. I don't know if any of you ever watched that. I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. Uh, it uh, is, uh, I've never heard of it. When, when Black Mirror came out, uh, people kept saying uh, there were two things like, oh, Charlie Brooker, creator of Nathan Barley and Something Wipe. Um, created News Wipe. Yeah, News oh, Wipe. this. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, so, so I never, I this never, was with the, I never saw it. This was with the mighty Boosh guy. Yes, exactly. Got a jewel something. What's his name? I I highly recommend it. It's it's really sort of the beginning of which is now a dated term, but still has some resonance and is a different version of hipster culture. And it is just oh, it, if you want hipster culture, mighty Boosh. No, no, but it's not a hipster culture show. It's, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's dissecting it. I've seen ads for this actually, because I remember this guy's pose. I googled it now. Um, yeah, yeah, I've actually seen ads for this show. I think I think on one of my services they have it because I have um, I have uh, BritBox and something else. I I have those things that allow you to watch um, British shows. It's how I saw Mighty yeah. Boosh. Yeah, it, it's it's a good show. I mean, uh, I'll just tell you one of the plot lines. There's okay. a mag there's a magazine in it called Sugar Ape. That's like a Vice type magazine, and they end up becoming so clever that they get rid of the sugar part and just make a symbol. And the magazine's just called Rape, but it looks like Sugar Ape. And it's it, it's it is ridiculous. It's hilarious and also very prescient. So I, I highly recommend it. If uh, we can, I mean, I guess I'll be you know, the wet, wet napkin. If we can pivot back to the movie, I have a question about, or I guess just want to see what y'all think um, about the, the the show, and I guess uh, that that will be coming, and the um, movie is. Um, I, I feel like if they wanted to, they could turn the narrative from being, um, you know, guy just CIA to with a plan to leave it and. Um, you know, start a revolution and then morph that into guy joins the CIA to change the system from the inside. And, and I feel like that that would be a more um, likely plotline uh, nowadays. I don't, I don't know what we all think about that. I think it'd be more likely, but I think a good question to ask is, would that be better? Because I agree with you it's going to be more likely. Do you think that would make... Uh, oh, 100% no. But I, I just feel like I see, it, see, it, see it going that way because I, that, that's a lip, that, that is just a liberal fantasy that I hear, even in real life, that yeah. just makes me really, you know, scratch my brain. But but I hear it all the time about how, you know, cops or politicians, like, they're going to get in the 
the the system, and then they're going to change it from the inside, and it never ever bears out, obviously, because you know either they were lying in the first place, or um, they you know they they weren't uh, had it didn't have enough resolve, or, or what what have you. How about how about this? And 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 this is probably not going to happen because it's Lee Daniel, but I'm just playing devil's advocate. What if he does that? You know about changing it from the inside, but. The point of it is, you know, you know, because he can't have the revolution happen like one season. You know, he's got to stretch it out. What the point of it is, all the um, walls that he runs into, like, 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 like the series ends with him becoming the Dan Freeman of the movie, precisely because he comes to the realization that uh, doing it from the inside just um, never works, and it just shows how all his attempts to do it from the inside just kind of get. Uh, subverted or he has to um end up eating shit too much or he ends up losing his way and getting tempted out of um his ultimate mission and he ends up realizing wait i forgot what i was supposed to be doing it for he keeps making more excuses to himself about uh yeah if i do this million dollar payday um then i'll really be able to fuck it up on the inside And and he catches himself compromising um the values more and more would that be something that you think you'd enjoy watching, or do you think is? I think that would be interesting, but I I doubt it. I doubt that they would they would do something like that. And, yeah, and I don't think that would happen because they would never want to tell you the truth about the system. If you try to change it from the inside, you just become a part of it. I think it's gonna have to end on some kind of typical saccharine American happy ending, you know, where there's like a pyrrhic victory that makes you feel good or a very 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 tiny win, you know. Yeah. I, have, you guys seen, have you guys seen Watchmen, the HBO Watchmen? No, I've oh. I've heard the struggle session episodes on it, so I don't think oh, I should oh. watch it. It's it's very it's very depressing. I finally watched it because I because I wanted to do a, a series of stuff on and and the one thing that really amazed me is uh, there's this guy called Bad Empanada on on YouTube who has a good video about how is it's the best unwitting accidental critique on liberalism ever because just about how better ideas aren't possible so why bother and it intersperses it with uh his 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 interviews uh damon lindelof and damon lindelof is saying stuff like yeah can you imagine if liberals owned 80 percent of the um of the um senate you know that would cause problems too like you know you need both sides to get things done you need 50 50 republicans liberals uh, to get things done, and and then it's like, yeah, only if you don't believe in anything, only if you're, only if compromise is like your highest virtue, you know? Right, and also only if you don't have anything at stake. It's just a, a game yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 exactly. It's like the teams aren't fair. The teams aren't balanced. We need we need to balance the teams. Yeah, it's like this is not a this is not a game. Yeah. This is life. This is fuck you. Yeah, which is so that's that's, that's yeah. liberal mindset. They live in like that fake world in which everything is a game to them because politics is only like who 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 gets to embarrass the nation this time around. Yeah, and it's, it's not who gets to fuck up my life because it's that far removed from them. Yeah, every yeah. four years for them is just a reset and another game. Yeah. They have no skin in the game, so for them, everything is just an academic argument or a gentleman's mm-hmm. way. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's what this new Watchmen is compared to the Alan Moore one, which has a, a fear of uh, existential threat and nuclear annihilation hanging over the whole thing, all 12 issues. This, yeah, this thing is just like, you know, about killing time until the next Aussie Fest, you know, that, that horrible uh, 
thing they have where like Malcolm Gladwell and a bunch of um, libs like Trevor Noah come out and uh, ha- have an outdoor didn't, festival. Didn't Damon Lindelof also make um, uh, Chernobyl? Wasn't he also involved in that? Oh, I have no idea. Does anybody know? I can Google it. I don't know, but I'd be surprised because Chernobyl was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that show was actually um, I, I, I thought I, it, was, genuinely... it was definitely compelling to watch. And, uh, oh, it was compelling, know. but I genuinely thought it was a worse uh, look at the what actually happened than like the Discovery 2004 documentary made by the BBC. <laughs> but that, that the BBC never aired on their own I channel. I worry for the, uh, for the Lee Daniels uh, recreation of Spooky Sapador that they would remove the ambiguity of the ending that, you know, maybe they'll set this as a period piece and then show like the failure of like the 60s uh, revolutionary movements uh, and really kind of, I think uh, Irami Osei-Frimprong made a really good point. I forget if it was on like Twitter or Facebook or where. Oh was no, it was, about, um, uh, it was uh, this new uh, uh, Fred Hampton movie and how, you know, they're kind of like lifting up Fred Hampton to be the spotlight because he was someone who was killed yes. and who was like, his movement was like destroyed. And so I wonder if, like, you know, Lee Daniels will have this movie and then he'll show that Freeman dies and Freeman fails and it all goes to nothing. So why, that's what, what happens when you anyways? rebel. Yeah, that's what happens when you buck the system, you know, so. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I'm just hoping yeah, for a uh, Halloween episode. Good white folks here. Where um, Freeman uh, dresses up as Killmonger. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, yeah. Oh. I about Oh, here's the thing that might happen. Maybe it's like uh, the Watchmen movie. This happened the Watchmen movie, right? Because uh, Watchmen, the TV series, sorry, Watchmen, the comic, ended uh, ambiguously with, with Rorschach's journal uh, turning up on the um, tabloid desk after the squid attack happened. And it's left to you to describe what happened with Rorschach's journal. Was it read? Was it not read? Was it believed? Was it discarded? Did, did um, Ozzy Mendes' plan... Uh, end up winning and then this thing t- takes place a couple years after a couple decades after and kind of just basically answers the question uh, not much changed and it answers all the questions that were best left a- ambiguous right and kind of undercuts a lot of the power of, of Watchmen to get kind of bogged down in this technocratic um, character characterization driven like uh, typical, so, typical prestige TV bullshit, and and I, I wouldn't be surprised if this might do the same thing, a, a kind of sequel. Like it starts off telling you, yeah, the Great Rebellion of '67 that uh, happened and failed, and here's the aftermath, and that might lead into the thing that uh, Californication was talking about, about California Carbication was talking about, where now the answer is that happened and failed. Uh, this is uh, Freeman's granddaughter, who was somehow uh, <laughs> uh, he had she she was the daughter of the daughter of a love child he had with a prostitute. I, I, I try I try to think like a modern TV writer, you know. Uh, so it turned out he had he had a child that uh, was born after he died, uh, and then uh, she learned from his mistakes, and then she's the new spook who sat by the door, but. Uh, it, it's one, she has the black woman power. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, what. That's what. Yeah, that's what yeah, all about. 
she ends up having a relationship with the police and like CIA agents and stuff. Like that. This time she gets the intersectional <laughs> CIA training. And yeah. I think also <laughs> the title for that too, the new spook who sits by the door because you know how they to make it really cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It should be should be the liberal intersectional uh, spook queen who sits by the door. Yeah. I'm just imagining her uh, convincing them that black girl magic is real, <laughs> and uh, just for trying to avoid like uh, her cursing them or whatever. I would I say, just imagine the doctrine be, being centered around like Kimberly Crenshaw, like they're all like with guns and reading Kimberly Crenshaw under a tree. Um, I, mean, or, I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would say realistically, you know, it, and this is sort of a joke, but sort of not a joke. I mean, any of the comments that have just been made you could pitch those to netflix and probably get a show out of it yeah I'm, 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 the, i mean uh, i'm trying to seriously think I, I i think totally can yeah because yeah, that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to think what can it realistically be like knowing that what we know about how tv is today and based on watchmen i think that could happen and someone just said uh copy well, river collective they would name drop off. they would name drop all that stuff of course but they wouldn't go to depth in, in any of it they would just mention it and then Slate or Vox would have an article the following Monday. Uh, what is the Combahee River Collector that was mentioned in last <laughs> night's episode? Uh, here's yeah. some here's some links if you want to know more. Yeah, you know? I, I threw that well, out. I'll give you like a I can feel uh, I can feel just as smart as the writers. Yep, exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just as smart so, as these <laughs> people with their nuts. So one thing about so you, one thing about Watchmen is that the guy who won the Emmy. Uh, Court Jefferson went to my college, and he's a mixed race guy who wrote an article for The Root like five years ago that got a lot of pop, and then he wound up getting like picked up by like uh, the Condé Nast people, and then got put into a bunch of other shows like maybe The Leftovers or something like that, and then he got brought on to make The Watchmen based off of that article he wrote for The Root, and like so he had this like leap, leap, leap based off of, like a couple of things that were. Just like nothing articles, nothing material, but it just like kept moving this thing forward. And he put all of that type of anime, all of his like his personal history into the show. But, so but, it could really happen. Like a Twitter oh, oh, thread yeah. turns into article, turns into your career. Well, well, well um, Damon Lindelof has hired like four or five different people off the internet and off of uh, reviews. Like he hires his critics. Um, so several people, there's an article about all the people that he hires, and and uh, Jack Jack Leslie was talking about this on Twitter, and I couldn't believe it. I looked it up, and he was right about um, people basically know that if you write favorably about him, you might get a job. So then that kind of affects the whole media ecosystem. Uh, he keeps hiring people who write favorably about him, and there's so uh, one of the people who wrote. In episodes uh, around Rorschach was one of the people who had um, one person he courted for like three years, and they finally went and started writing for him um, around the time of time of Watchmen. And I'm like, like, like I don't ever want to say Gamergate was uh, right because it, it wasn't, but uh, I don't think Gamergate was totally imagining the idea that um, geek media or whatever has a kind of uh, problem, you know, with the Everyone no. kind of being in bed with each other. <laughs> that was obvious from yeah, the get-go. Like Everyone knew that. Content, what, kind of thing. 
everyone the, always made jokes how like all these gaming media were just like marketing arms of like whatever games industry they prefer. Yeah, like young people who hadn't been disillusioned yet, they found out and they just went on a rampage. Like half the yeah, console yeah. were started by those by those idiots. Yeah, and, but what was so funny about it was because, uh, and this was true, that they were horribly racist and sexist and misogynistic and everything. People kind of threw away the baby with the bathwater. It's like, okay, yeah, the fact that uh, gaming media is has no integrity, is fucked up, is no justification to become this total racist, sexist troll. We don't have to act, now act like uh, the accusation is ridiculous too. Like you know, and that's what that I didn't like about the. It gaming. was a really good cover, right? Yeah. Like uh, they could say like uh, you know. Well, we're not actually all colluding. Like, we don't, you know, fucking own like every single person who reviews our stuff. Like, it's it's just, you're just a bunch of gamergator misogynists. Like, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have yeah. no real argument. Post the same article across seven different publications all at once. We aren't on the same emailing list, getting orders <laughs> from some manager. What are you talking about? Oh, what? Oh, there's screenshots coming out of some guy showing exactly that. Mm, okay, I think it's the larger, exactly what we've all. You, you guys I think are the just larger point here. the end of racism in video games. You guys are. Uh... <laughs> oh no! I'm cancelled. Oh shit. <laughs> I think the larger point here is that both in the case of Lindelof and Gamergate and countless others is the fact that we're talking about this now, but I think, you know, the, the, the at least the thing that, you know, seems so sh- sort of striking to me is that who else fucking cares? I mean, we're yeah. sort of setting up these, you know, I don't know, these moral barriers of the way or ethical barriers like this is this behavior makes sense, this behavior doesn't, based on, you know, the way in which we either hoped or thought or want the world to work. But the vast majority of people who are the actual targets of this media don't seem to care. Yeah, they don't care about anything, but but you know why I think they don't care is I think they don't care because uh, I've said this before on on the podcast, but I think a lot of people uh, just want to be famous and they want to be famous at any cost. I don't care if they're famous for being good. So they're happy. Uh, to, like before, I think people made heroes out of people that seemed unattainable and they would think, man, I can never rap like a rock him, but I'm sure it's all going to try. And I'm going to stay and work in my notebook and just keep spitting and spitting and doing ciphers. And then lo and behold, one day this person becomes a new legend. Uh, and some people say that they're better than a rock him, you know? Uh, now I don't think people do that. I think people. I don't know where it came from, but I think this kind of general hopelessness about the future has kind of even happened to talent, where people just think deep down, even if they want to admit it, I'm never going to create anything really great. So I just want a world where people can pretend mediocrity is great. And and then uh, a bunch of us will just all sit around and give each other reach-arounds about our mediocre work, you know? and. And they just create, all they care about is just climbing and, and striving. And uh, like I call it like a, a mediocrity mafia. It's just that everyone's just working together to uh, help get each other's mediocre, mediocre stuff uh, elevated. And also to kind of tear down like true greatness. So a big thing that was happening a lot with Watchmen was people kept saying, uh, this corrects like a blind spot in Alan Moore's thing of like white supremacy and racism. Because no, it was there. You didn't spoon feed it to you. Like, hey... We're talking about racism now. Racism is bad. Like, like 
but it was there and it handled it actually much better than, than Lindelof. But I noticed a lot of these kind of new things, it's not enough to kind of elevate the mediocrity. They have to kind of retroactively make actual great things. To bring it back to the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's exactly kind of what happens to Freeman at the very beginning, right? It's like there's the mediocre mafia that's like, you know, don't don't fuck up the grading curve. That's a great like, point. Exactly. We don't want to. We don't. We don't. Wanna, we don't want to like you know be too good for like you know because then you know one of us might get kicked out or whatever like. But Freeman is the only one who's actually like exceptional. Uh, yeah. Except unfortunately, I feel like the person who gets in, who's like the one guy who's like whatever quote unquote exceptional, is like, I don't know. Usually, a usually they're they're uh, they're happy that they got theirs. But I would say that yeah. it's, it's also likely that it's a calculation on the part of artists and other creators that I could strive to be a Rakim or, you know, insert any sort of transformative figure in a, in a particular medium, or I could, you know, ride a wave. And will people really care? Do, does it make a difference in the landscape that we're in now? Like, oh, I mean, when people sort of equate Kendrick Lamar, Drake, and, you know, Juice Jake World, oh, I was going to say Juice World. It just all together in one breath. Yeah, and, like, and, and people, and people, what, don't, and people don't care that Drake has ghostwriters. Right. Matter. Yeah. So, so understanding that that's the landscape. Why would you put in all that effort to strive towards this greatness when it's just going to be flattened anyway? But that's part of the vicious cycle because why don't people? You're saying why aspire to be great if people don't care? But at the same time, why don't people care because? People just want to have that lifestyle that a Juice World or a Drake has. So it's like, um, if you tell them that you have to get super competent to get there, and you might not even get there because 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 Rakim was super competent and he never uh, got to cash in on that type of lifestyle, you know, that um, a Juice World gets gets to cash in on. So it's like, to them, that's almost even less of a reason to try to be actually great. Like like there's no guarantee me being great is even going to pay off. I might end up being ahead of my time, but uh, being mediocre, there's a lot of mediocre people out there. Um, and I can focus on politicking and making the connections. and Because being great, that takes time. It's not easy to network all day trying to be right. great. Trying to be great. And, and I, not, not to pick on you know mainstream hip-hop, I think that this sort of thinking permeates underground music, independent music. It's tiered but the same sort of understanding of the landscape in which artists are creating and now I think is true at no matter what level you're doing it. I think bringing it back to Spookusap by the door, I think that's a great, great um, analogy. Like, like that they're just happy to get in there and they're all going to um, elevate each other. And then they're all going to go around and just tell people I was the first uh, black person in the... Spokane CIA branch. I was the first black person in this branch and just, you know, milk that to their grandkids and and, and get a plaque at the end of their career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like a lot of... Um, I wish I could remember the bigger point we were tying that into about the whole um, mediocrity mafia thing. I, I, I think we're talking about um, shows and stuff like that, but Actually, I yeah, start. the uh, degradation of media over time. I, I was um, I was going to bring it back around to my point I made earlier about like classical music and uh, you know oh, yeah, over yeah. time 
you know, you've got this new uh, thing, this new form of music like rap, and you've got all these people, and it's so easy to make new forms of it, new songs, and then over time it becomes even more difficult. So now we're like, I don't know, 40, how many years? I would say like 40, 50 years since rap started. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just hard for new rappers to make new songs. I don't know. I mean, I would disagree to a certain point because I think what's I mean, I don't, what's, what's I don't, classified. I was going to say I, what's, class, what's classified yeah. as rap now would be unrecognizable to the people who, you know, were part of rap in this beginning. And so rap has changed. It's just changed in a way that is much more sort of circle back on some of the other things we we're talking about in a more democratized change as opposed to iconic artists all doing different things. The genre itself has changed radically and in an interesting way sonically to me. But the individual artists themselves have become much more homogenous. Here's, here's I, the question I have about the movie, right? All these forces that we're talking about with modernization and everything, would Dan Freeman have to find a way to weaponize it and hack it? Like, okay, this is the society I'm into now. How can I get a revolutionary force out of this? You know, sh- sh- should I try to make a SoundCloud? You know, it, like, like try to get them with sugar and then uh, kind of trick them almost, you know, into um, this stuff? Or would he have to, like, work against these forces and be, 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 be almost be almost a Luddite? Uh, I feel like, uh, I think, uh, in my opinion, I feel like the internet is almost always a, just a demobilizing force. And I think if you still want to have something like that happen, you have to go to people, you know, um, in person and, and, and uh, do it like that. I don't think doing it through the internet is whatever yield any results that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, look at this guy. He's, um, he would have to be a Luddite too, because if you look at what happens now to a lot of movements, like those Black Lives Matter protesters that got killed and all the like, technology could is so easily leveraged against you that you'd have to go analog in order to make your, your 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 movement real and that would probably limit how quickly it could spread so i think he'd be facing a really massive uphill struggle trying to do what he was doing then in this age and also convincing people because these days it seems like back then the bar for selling out was really high but today the bar for selling out is really low because times are really tough People will sell you out for a pack of cigarettes. So but, but, but people will sell you out for attention. Kenny always says, exactly. If, if, exactly. If, you, if you give people like a, a gold brick or um, mm-hmm. a, a, a thousand retweets, a lot of people choose the retweets. Exactly. So people these days, they bar for what they, you know, their imagination is so limited. They can't even imagine a world being liberated. And they're so easily, the bar for, like I said, the bar, the, the price is so cheap. That he, I think his task this this in this time would be just virtually impossible. Have, um, you, have gonna, you guys have you guys seen uh, Lovecraft Country? I'm sorry, I cut somebody off. I, no, this, uh, I've been meaning to watch it based on uh, the struggle session episodes. I've uh, okay, listened to. Well, uh, it, My it, uncle got into it. Uh, he he said he originally didn't like it, but that he's coming around to it. And I haven't seen uh, a whole episode of any of it. Uh, but I want to make a quick point about uh, like like the sort of uh, navigating the the digital landscape and um, then like having to talk with people in person and get them on your side in this new uh, in the new um, I guess the remake of Spooky Sat by the Door 
and uh, maybe the role of the cultural mulatto to know like how to navigate in these different spaces and that kind of thing. Yeah, also and think I would... about the attempted coup in Venezuela, right? You know, and this is, I guess, if we're talking about an operational type of situation, it almost seems like it would be better to maintain operational security offline, uh, because if you don't, you tend to have a situation <laughs> like what what they did in, in Venezuela, um, where the dudes were basically saying, "Yeah, we're going to invade Venezuela," and then they get arrested and caught. Um, well, yeah, like yeah, this is also right. what. Like, um, like mo. This is what puzzles me a bit. Like, last time I was out, like, just meeting people. Uh, I I started realizing. Wait, I'm bringing my mobile phone to me. This thing is always listening to me. Always, like, it's got two cameras for a reason. It's not just to take selfies. And all that is just like, hmm. If you're ever going to start really organizing, you probably want to leave all sorts of that tech behind. Like, this is also noticeable with with how the Paris terrorist attack was so successful, is they they avoided any form of technology, and as a result, went completely under the radar. Well, I, I just, and maybe this is, you know, by virtue of actually existing in today's society, I think to be able to truly leave technology behind to the degree that you would need to in order to make something like this happen i think it's unrealistic i think yeah whether 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 it be through banking whether it be using cell phones using emails all these different things are ubiquitous and so much a part of our lives that if they were to be cut off tomorrow society would come to a standstill and and, and even even if you were to stop doing it yourself uh, a lot of other people are not going to Right, and it's financial it's, collapse of uh, of Greece. They voted in a left wing party that said we're not going to continue with the austerity, and the troika, the what is it, Eurobank, uh, Deutsche Bank, and uh, the European Central Bank or whatever, the Dutch said, National Bank as well. Actually, they said yeah. uh, you can't. Well, that's nice. Like you can say you're not going to do austerity, but uh, we're going to turn off the, all the ATMs in your entire country, and people can't access their fucking bank accounts. Yeah, they literally so said. Like, yeah, they literally held a gun to their heads and said, "You're gonna do what we say," which is a terrible fucking package in which we expect you to pay back your loan by extending a loan, increasing the interest rate, and making sure you're yeah, but basically going from to doing anything. This new government that you just voted in, you have to go back on all of your promises, or we're gonna turn off the economy in your country. Like, right. Yeah, and, I, but... and I guess my my broader point is that, you know, obviously, technically, it can be done. You can disconnect. But how it's, it's happened before in, right. in Ireland can, and it didn't it. it didn't work. But it how effective work. people just switch to uh, people just switch to an IOU barter system overnight. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. it, it was developed in a week. People just had bar tabs, uh, you know, where they wrote it on the back of like a coaster. And then that was that. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty heartening, I guess. And that's because like the British tried to do a similar thing to Ireland, and uh, the Irish just said, "Screw you, do it." And so all the banks just decided not to do anything. Like all the Irish banks decided to shut down. Like the right, banks essentially but, went on strike. <laughs> but again, I, I think we're in a, a very different time now, and you know, so much, if not everything that we do, 
And I think a good way to illustrate this is the fact that I'm going to assume that most of you who are lucky enough to be working now or working from home now and how easily to some degree we were able to transition to that. And that's because so much of what we do is existing on networks now, even the way that we think about communicating and developing ideas, et cetera, to disconnect from that and come up with a disruptive solution that is not of that, but has to be injected back into that and have an impact. It, the, the web is just too tangled, not in a conspiratorial way, just in a sort of messy, organic way in which yeah, yeah, the yeah, networks yeah, have messy, developed. Organic way. That's a well, Venice. That's a Venice Valley book. With you. That's a Venice Valley book. Is yeah, really I good for that. With you, sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, T. What were you saying? Oh no, I was just saying that that surveillance value book is really good for showing how things are less conspiratorial than you think versus just messy and people losing track of the plot and and a lot of false starts and different roots and branches spreading different ways. Like like the mess, the web right now is just a tangle that is impossible to ever untangle. It's been going on too long un, unchecked. Is is all I want to say is that is that surveillance yeah. value is a good book if you want to see it illustrated. It, it's it's a t- it's tangled and messy, but also one other thing it is is very fragile, and yeah. that's one of the, one of the things that the whole this whole pandemic period has driven home the point as well. How not only is it fragile, but also it's not resilient to make it come back to make the system, economic systems, etc., that depend on essentially the status quo being propped up. If that is not the case, then you know, it, it's really sort of the the point I'm trying to make here is that the government and our networks are sort of thin and run on a handshake and a gentleman's agreement, and that that could be torn away at any moment. And there's no sort of resilience baked into the system. Mm, you one know, about uh, the one of the things that is the, like resilience. Oh, 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 wait, hold on. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, 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 no, I feel like Gavin's been getting. I feel like Gavin's been cut off a lot. So I, I want to hear what Gavin has to say because I feel like he be trying to give his point oh. across. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I kind of I'm agreeing with I saw an info in that. I just think that, you know, to to be able to challenge this right, and that's the the, the Greek socialists and Greek left came up in in the problem was that. They couldn't supplant the Greek banking system. They had no. They couldn't like come up with that whole like they couldn't provide all the things well, that like you say like that the internet is integral to like our daily lives or whatever. They couldn't replace that like overnight. Like the finance, right? So they had to concede. Uh, yeah, the yeah, finance uh, minister did did like resign in protest because the finance minister did have a plan. And did say no. We can actually deal with this. Just screw him. And eventually, the main guy of the party decided to Cyprus decided to cave. It's Cyprus. Yeah, uh, he, he fucking caved in. And as a result, like he uh, he now left the party and started DM twenty five. So, like. It was possible, but like there was like a lack of political will because he didn't want to put his own career on the line. That's the big problem. A lot of things are possible, but you know, a lot of people blink before it can. Uh, I mean, the, the kind of things that the kind of cooperation you have to have to make a lot of the possible happen is so much harder than 
how much easier it is for one person to just derail the thing. You know what I mean? I think I think that's a real problem with a lot of changes. But with this common, like like communism or socialism needs a lot of people acting on code, but capitalism just needs a bunch of people being selfish. And yeah, yeah, and it's so much easier to get the ladder. It's not that the ladder is any smarter or uh, better organized. It's that, that it doesn't even have to be at all, at all to work. It just has to have people just selling each other out. Uh, uh, and, and that reminds me of something. Now I remember why I brought up this point about the mediocrity mafia. I, now I remember, because uh, somebody brought up uh, about is it just us that cares about the Gamergate stuff or the the integrity stuff? And and I think the reason why nobody cares is because um, before people felt in... I don't think everyone thought they were entitled to be um, rich, famous, and and put on so uh there was something uh an incentive to them to see greatness to aspire to i think it was almost like looking at god they didn't expect to be god they wanted to have something um higher than themselves to you know find inspiring whereas now people all want to be a god you know everybody wants to be something so um if everybody wants if you don't actually want to be god or famous or elite then setting the bar high doesn't bother you uh setting the bar higher than yourself because um a either it gives you something to keep aspiring to or just something you know to um make you feel good you don't feel left out but when everybody wants to um be when everyone wants to be a cowboy you know everyone wants to be on the top setting uh barriers and stuff higher than yourself it's just a reminder of that you're not going to make it and and you're better off just tr lowering the bar and you know making everything mediocre but i think going back to spooky sat by the door it's kind of why i don't think it would work today because a lot of people just want to be in lesser freeman i mean in, in in dan freeman's position um that that mediocrity mafia i think is very very strong now that that mindset and i think it's what makes selling out so cheap now like like people will sell out for just about um anything because they've lost the value to um everything uh, the reason i wanted to bring up that the lovecraft country thing is they had an episode recently about um a black woman who gets to walk around the body of a, a white woman that was the thing and they kind of really told themselves the blue checks who make the show because one of the things that happens is there's a white guy this is some weird messaging in it. She sleeps with a, with a powerful white guy, this dark-skinned, uh, overweight black woman. She sleeps with a powerful white guy, and she gets to wake up as a white woman. So it's, it's almost kind of trying to say, like, uh, having sexual congress with white people can actually confer the benefits of whiteness on you and allow you to walk um, as an honorary white person. That seems to be kind of like a metaphorical message of it. But in the show, it was cre uh, done by magic. The guy magically makes her white with a potion and also gives her a sack of money. And this this working class, poor black woman in Southside Chicago who works three or four jobs and is always like scrambling for money and her biggest aspiration is like to get this job so she can pay her bills and do all this stuff. And she works like four or five jobs. She straight up tells the white guy, she hands the money back to the white guy and says, I'm fine because with this white skin, I can get all the money I want. Uh, 
being white is enough. And I was like, that is the most <laughs> bullshit thing I've ever seen. Like, like <laughs> that is the most stupid thing I've ever I've ever seen. I could not believe that that was something that they actually put in there. And, oh my god, it's that story about uh, like if if someone you know. Uh, sat me down and uh, they had a bag with a million dollars or a book on how to make a million dollars. Yep, yep, exactly. Or, or, or brunch with Jay-Z. Like, you know, if I can get brunch with Jay-Z or, you know, uh, or, or another one that goes around is, would you rather have, like, $5,000 or $10,000 or an 800 credit score, you know? And, and it's like all, all this dumb stuff. Uh, now, there's like a million dollars or 850 credit score, you know, and people say, I'll take an 850 credit score because with 850 credit score, I can make a million dollars. Then it's like, what are you even so talking I about? I, I love that. So, so <laughs> it was so, it was so, it was so ridiculous. I'm like, I have to listen to the official podcast of, of the show to hear the creators give me the rationale because this is the stupidest thing. And but, I, I listened to the, to the podcast and they said, yeah, you know, well, one thing that you realize is that visibility and being censored is so powerful oh, that, that <laughs> it was so blue check babble. Ooh. It was the worst blue check babble. And I'm like, oh my God, you've told me so much about how you think. It's no wonder you guys sell out for nothing. I can understand why you guys sell out uh, and print and write the most heinous thing about black people just for a byline in the route uh, or a freelance job. Like now I see. You just think being seen by um, white people or being a little, getting a little bit of like bullshit status is more important than money. You know, like uh, you just think visibility and and power to move through the world and having your voice heard is really powerful. So of course Ruby turns down the money because she understands. And I'm like, oh my god, you guys don't even understand. Like, like Kenny always talks about presentism and and projecting the present into the past. And I started realizing these people. They don't even understand the present. They're not even accurately projecting the present into the past. They're, they're getting the present wrong and projecting it into the past. Like, money is money. Power, yeah, money is money. Power is power. Like, it's... Well, and the sad part about this whole perspective is that they're using black experience, the black experience. They're using the zeitgeist of the moment around race, etc., to essentially just get put on and be centered and be visual you know be seen but it could be anything the the actual rationale for using the black experience and all of these different things is irrelevant they're doing it as a mechanism to move to the next stage yes and being mediocre the whole time and the mediocre is actually the mediocrity the mediocrity is actually part of the um the it, it's a feature not a bug because some of them will even tell you like well, white people get to be mediocre so right. uh why can't i and actually true equality is when you can you don't have to be twice as good. The implication being that they have they have to be twice as good. It's like no, you, you guys aren't twice as good at all. Like you you've appreciate you've accomplished your dream of mediocrity being uh, okay for black people. Like like trust yeah, me, but you've accomplished. They're using tokenism to get attention instead of like actually trying to I don't know make money and like yeah yeah oh, oh, oh. a lot in life and and maybe the people around them and like help other black people up. They're just like, no, no, I want the I want the tokenism to get me attention and then I'll have status and the status will get me the thing that the tokenism was supposed to get me. I, yeah, and, and also I'll get to be mediocre the whole way through, but at the same time I'm going to pretend I was twice as good. So so 
because for example, like when when I think black art was way, way, way better, they weren't calling themselves black excellence all the time. Like these people talk about their own excellence so much and it's so disproportionate to the amount that they're actually excellent. Whereas the August Wilsons of the world and all the people who are genuinely um, excellent, you know, they weren't really. I mean, the closest you have is maybe talented tenth by W. E. B. Du Bois, but people didn't actually call themselves that, you know. Well, and, and this is the thing: I, I don't have a problem with the mediocrity. My problem is that they aspire to do something that they can't do, and they're unsuccessful at it, and they set the precedent. Yep, yeah, yeah, but the reason why Bosman references Fuku sat by the door is that these people are trying to lead movements or be be activists or divert attention from actual movements but all they want to do is be mediocre and set up like if they were just um isolating this stuff to just getting writing jobs and whatever that wouldn't bother me but we're in this weird world now where activism or slacktivism is melded with um punditry is melded with journalism is melded with entertainment and it's all flattened and that same lack of care and lack of principle with um, gaming journalism or comic book movies, reviews or whatever is extrapolated to these same people and their self-appointed voice of activism. Or right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're in agreement. We're totally yeah. in agreement. My, my point is that the fact that they know enough to sort of touch on or even in some ways wholesale co-opt these sort of meaningful things, whether it be the Tulsa riots, etc., but not talented enough to pull it off, and they set the precedent of mediocrity yeah. that gets got, gets taken from from the perspective of the wider world as serious as you know, sort of meaningful step forward, and they become the voices of that when they haven't even fucking achieved what they were trying to do. And they they don't have the talent to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they've um, not stayed in their lane, so they've kind of spread this ethos into the activism world, into the. Um, political punditry world like you know they're they're just going and uh selling out the black agenda you know just in hopes of doing a viral video with elizabeth warren or or whatever you know Uh, like someone said had just set out for nothing and i think i think it was winfield that was saying it and it's and it's very it's very true and i think they set out for nothing because they want that mediocrity to be the norm and it makes me wonder who would dan freeman have to target because uh, I think to a degree, Dan Friedman already had this crowd in his um, in his circle. Like, like we have to think that this stuff is new, but to a degree, it did exist. Because someone pointed out how he came across a mediocrity mafia in in the academy, and they were all like in fraternities and had these kind of bullshit accreditations. And I think he made them like members of fraternities. Remember two of them were networking. And saying, "Oh, you're a member of this fraternity too," uh, so am yeah. I. And I think he's kind of trying to say, like, uh, the same way people act like Kamala Harris being an AKA is important. Like, I, I think we kind of romanticized the past, but to a degree, these people have always um, existed. The question I, I'd like to point to you guys is: the people that Dan Freeman did end up reaching out to, for, like, I think he kind of realized the bourgeois people aren't really going to help me. That the, the wannabe talented ten types. Uh, who today are the black excellence types aren't going to want to help me, but the dudes in the street will. Do you think today's dudes in the street have deteriorated as as well? Yes, absolutely not. I don't know any street 
I will I will go ahead and say this. Um, I, I don't think that they have um, because how much of a connection to poor and working class black people have to all of these blue checks and, and the actual narrative that's get cultivated in these spaces. Um, so I think that, that, that they're the prime audience um, because they, they're not, they don't, they're not blue checks, you know what I mean? And they don't have that exposure to blue checks because, or blue checkism because they're trying to survive. So when somebody comes to them and tells them that, you know, we need revolution and this is how it's gonna impact the community this is what self-determination is and we don't have to rely on these systems, it may be a little bit, it may hold more weight with people out in the street. Now, I can understand where, where somebody would say like, yeah, it's changed because I think because of like popular culture, there's a certain perspective about what street people are as opposed to what they actually are. Like if you talk face to face with a street person. That's just my well, well, how about this for a devil's advocate, right? Um, I think back in the days, a dude in the street had a very low expectation of um, being famous, but social media has kind of made all of us think fame is around the corner. And I was watching um, this news story recently because there's a big crime spike in New York. I don't know if um, anyone else is in New York and has been like... Uh, hearing or seeing with the crime spike but there's interview with, with a bunch of cops and you gotta take uh what cops say with a grain of salt you know um uh, but it rang true to me they were asking where's this crime spike coming from and the cop said uh, this was two black cops i don't know if that helps but the cop said <laughs> the cop said uh social media he's like everyone yeah. is putting their crimes or bragging about their beefs on facebook live then the other crew sees you on Facebook Live, or people are trying to do their DIY web series or, or raps. So people are making rap videos and put, it, put them on YouTube or on Facebook Live where they're dissing like another crew. And then that right. crew goes over to them and like um, shoots up their projects over this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, wow, the game is like really messed up where people are just messing up the whole, uh, the whole thing over Facebook beef, you know? and. Like, yeah, T, I'm in New York as well, and I saw that segment on New York One. And one of the other things that they're doing is that not only are they doing these online beats, but one of the sort of the main sticking points is that they drive to another crew's neighborhood and play their song, blast their songs out of the car, and videotape themselves doing it, and then post that so it's seen as another disrespect because you played this this song in my neighborhood oh i actually saw one of those on you on youtube where, some, where someone did that where, where one person um, put a video that said you won't dare come on my block and then the person played them saying uh, they did a response video on youtube uh where they put the clip of the old youtube video where the person says you won't come on my block and the guy is like oh yeah let me show you and then he follows it with a clip of himself on the block and I was like, oh my god, these type of time wasting games. Like, 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 free, freeway Ricky Ross wasn't doing this. This is like, uh, like, like, it's just weird. Attention hungriness, I think, is kind of permeating all society now. Like, I agree to not blue checks, but I do think the fixation with attention is everywhere now with social. Let me media. add a footnote to the the whole or uh, something I think is important to, to think about. 
to the whole um, everyone is looking uh, for or everyone knows that fame is around the corner I think also what kind of inspires that is that work um, nowadays like the, the the notion or whatever the word be of, of work is just so much more miserable than I think it ever it, it's been in a, in a while because like you know everyone has shit jobs like productivity has you know everyone's seen the graphs the productivity has gone up by how many percent with um, way of just saying the same you're always supposed to be available no matter what um, you like you're literally never stop working and um, getting famous by social media is both you know quote unquote easy you know in a way and then you know might guarantee that you don't have to, to stick around in this uh, you know, meat grinder for the rest of your life yeah very, but it's such, it's such a meager and pathetic type of fame you know it's not even a sort of robust Sort of even by the standards of a one-hit wonder, say twenty years ago, but, the fame but, but, is so but, like fleeting but to, and thin. But, but compared to the alternative that he's describing, I can see how even that meager fame or whatever feels better than grinding in a cubicle for like twelve-hour days. You know. Well, earlier I said that uh, I didn't know any, uh, I, I didn't know any street niggas, but I was thinking about um, I have uh, some people in my family that. Uh, like uh my generation and they uh were in a gang and they sold drugs like as minors and they got caught and uh you know they got gang tattoos and stuff like that and they'll tell me hey man that uh, or it's like that life wasn't any good right uh so i i don't know why in new york like uh people are uh like doing stuff on social media yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Like I, I know it's people who've lived through it, and it just because I think a lot of people view it as not an end in and of itself. I think they view it as a stepping stone to becoming a rapper or something. This is with intersect. Like for example, look look at um uh, Takashi Six Nine. Why couldn't he just do music? Why did he even have to um, be in with the gang? And a lot of people thought that he was being extorted, but the, it was more complicated than that when you actually look into the story it was more like he kind of wanted the street cred to make his music pop more but the people who were in the gang wanted to be part of that fast fast rap life and maybe get into like doing some art so this is kind of weird flattening of everything where where i don't think the gang stuff is and in and of itself anymore like even gang members are kind of becoming influencers in their own way like like well, the, like the gangsters but they want to have like five hustles well there was an interesting parallel again i'm going to go back and i'm kind of playing myself here about how much i watch vlad tv but there was an interview with uh i can't remember it was uh one of the uh og blood members and he was talking about chris brown and you know, they were going back and forth about why chris brown would associate himself with the bloods and he's like look he gets something out of it he gets the street cred he's able to you know shed any sort of image he may have had as a soft dude and the gang members get something out of it too because they might want to get put on they might want to you know eventually put out a record or you know make some connections outside of the gang so it's a sort of win-win situation even though it put him in situations when he could have lost his life Yeah. Plus, plus, he might have protection too. Like when he goes places now, he um, doesn't have to worry about being picked on by other gangs because he has his own his own um, people who 
in a way, are a threat to him, too, if he doesn't give them what they want. But at least they're the devils he knows, you know. It's a complicated, it's a complicated thing. But, yeah, I think uh, this idea of no one staying in their lane anymore doesn't just have to do with, like, high art and no one wanting to be a singer. Like, like, like there were people whose their whole career used to be a bartender. I'm a bartender. And they're, like, the 60-, 70-year-old guy behind the bar who can make all these cocktails, and that's his trade. Now a bartender is uh, someone moonlighting while they're a uh, while they're in college or they're an aspiring model or actor. They can only make vodka sodas and Long Island iced teas. Like you ask them to make like a complicated prohibition era cocktail, they look at you like you're stupid. You know, uh, I feel like, I feel like even uh, same thing with, with with being a musician, like uh, having a Stevie Wonderish type of career or a Rock Image type of career is whack. You're supposed to be. Already with your eye on the acting ball, like Megan Thee Stallion is gonna be acting very soon, guaranteed. You're supposed to. You look stupid if you try to do one thing for ten years. Um, um, Cardi B is already acting and stuff. Uh, she's doing stuff with politics and appearing with Bernie Sanders and and Biden. And I think that's even trickling down to even like gangsters. Like I think people join gangs in hopes of being rappers. Like you know, if if I put a couple years into a gang, I'll have good stories to rap about. And people won't be able to say, I didn't have uh, street cred. And if you become a big rapper or a star without being in a gang, it's almost like you skipped a step. And, you know, you'd be like, wow, you know, now I'm a rapper and a singer, but I never did the gang thing. So everyone thinks I'm soft. So, so let, me, let me make up for that now and, and do the gang stuff I should have done um, before I one, came up. One other thing occurred to me about the, you know, doing a contemporary version of Spooky Step by the Door is that, I think one of the problems also would be that, you know, any sort of grassroots activism or activity, unfortunately, there's the dynamic of where once it bubbles up in any sort of way, the blue check will step in and start to take credit for it. Mm, that's true, too. The other, what, I, what I notice is that um, when you look at read stuff like about Lenin, and all the previous people that were revolutionaries, the reason why I think people would sell out really easily is because those guys were actually aspiring to control their destinies in a material way from soup to nuts. They were looking about food, transport, logistics, government. They were looking at the real things that make society work, whereas the aspirations of most people have nothing to do with that. So if you offer them something that will put them more along that comfortable track without having to do any hard intellectual work or put their physical body on the line they're they're gonna take that road so like i said their personal like it's not just the price being low it's just their personal values and and their their knowledge of society and how it works is so little that they're gonna take they'll they'll choose the first instance of comfort over the responsibility of actually controlling their destiny yeah i i think in a way those those two actually kind of connect because if that's all you care about that's cheap so of course your price is going to be low if you care about deeper things then your price kind of has to be higher you know if you want something that's going to be able to feed you and feed your family for generations then you can't have a cheap price you know you, you know like a thousand retweets or um just just walking around with white skin isn't going to secure um yeah you for generations yeah contract for a million dollars or a billion dollars to somebody that wants to control their destiny is never going to be enough. They want the land that they want the land themselves and control of it and sovereign control. They can grow the food and feed their generations of people. So it, it's yeah. just, like I said, the values and the mindset and the education. Yeah, exactly. 
But but but, but if all you want is attention and you know to be seen by the maximum amount of eyeballs during your time on Earth, then then if anything, a million dollars is is too much. You you don't even need that. Just give me like um, a, a small waist and a Brazilian butt lift and and a, a million YouTube followers, and I'm and I'm on my way. In addition, I would say that one of the other issues is that it's very very tough to understand whether you could even make this make sense to people just like it's hard to explain to people of a certain age and below what selling out is could you even explain to people why being able to have this sort of understanding to be able to you know think about deeper concepts outside of clout etc is even valuable or useful i think it depends on who you're talking to so there's a there's a speech where uh, Kwame Ture talks about how it's important. One of the jobs of people who are revolutionary, and I know I'm paraphrasing here, is to make the the unconscious aware of their unconsciousness and bring them to consciousness. And uh, a very important part of that is dealing with people um, who don't have that particular awareness. So when we talk about like can is what Mr. Freeman's plan was feasible or plausible to regular everyday working class and poor people, you know, part of that is making them conscious of what's going on. And he, he made a, a mention of this, this uh, I'll, I'll share the, the speech in, in uh, Discord chat, but um, he, he mentions that he talks about how it was the poor and working class street people that had more of a higher orientation for you know, rebelling against oppression um, because they were made conscious um, of of what was going on and how it was impacting their lives. You know what I mean? So, uh, I don't. Know, I think the difference is that even going back, let's say, thirty or forty years ago, people were living in a very similar way that they had been in the previous hundred years, with the exception of a few technological changes. Both the values the way people see themselves in the world and a number of other things are very different now. And I think it's harder to make that case that you could actually, again, convey to people why it's important to understand these concepts, how it can, how they can change their lives, etc. It's just a, a very different world. Yeah, I can see that. But if you're living, you know, hand to and the, somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, you know, talks to you about black self-determination. And these are concepts that you haven't heard about growing up in your formative years. And you'll be like, hell yeah, I think that's that's true. And if I, if I have the means and if I can, you know, I'll work towards that. I understand that things are totally different. But, you know, what I'm talking about is the audience being, you know, people that are oppressed, like all across, you know, even ethnicity too, right? You know what I mean? Like, if you make people aware of their self-determination, I mean, I think it holds more weight for that. But I, think, I, I don't know. That's just my I, I, I think what you're saying is true, that there's always going to be in every walk of life people who are not into all this stuff, who aren't dazzled by, I want to get the girl with the 20-inch uh, waist and the 50-inch ass uh, that she got off of surgery. Uh, I want to have, I want the guy with the flashy car. I want, I want the internet clout. I think there's, always going to be people like that on every walk of life who don't want that but i do think that they're going to be harder and harder to find 
And at the end of the day, this stuff is going to have to be a mass movement. And I and I and I wonder, right? So I, I agree with you that there's always going to be um, people like that. I think like you gotta that. have like you know, mm-hmm. you gotta have some level of respect too for for people that they're gonna understand these things. You know, like I was talking to my coworker the other day, and she's not like, you know, intellectual at all, but she was totally getting what I was talking to her about about how the state had. I was talking to her about this group the mobile guard in france it was basically they had hired these homeless youth to go and beat on the workers that were forming a revolution uh very similar to indonesia uh this is in sakai's book the dangerous class uh oh but oh but, but, uh, oh, but, but let me and say she this. totally got the understanding yeah she but, totally but, got what what i was talking about but let me say this i don't uh, think this is an intellect issue i think it's a values issue i'll even go as far as to say i think having being too intellectual is actually probably counterproductive because I, I I do feel like these Ivy League blue check type people are going to be harder. And I think this kind of something that was happening in the um, movie too, A Spook Who Sat by the Door in the book too, where it was the educated people and the intellectual people who were more of an obstacle to him than um, these high school dropouts. You know, you know. So so I actually think it's a it's a value thing, and I agree with you that. Uh, you shouldn't underestimate people on, on on intellect, and I'll even go a step further as to say I think intellect might actually get in the way of you understanding these these uh, concepts. I think somebody who hasn't had a cushy intellectual life would probably understand uh, the concept of people putting their boot on your neck and why it sucks, uh, and the ways that they do it uh, probably better than a lot of armchair academics and and stuff stuff like that. I, I think it's more of a more of a a value uh, problem than a, than an intellect problem, and that the intellect might actually be the biggest problem. Because I really feel like the blue checks are going to be the hardest people to um, get, and that they're analogous to uh, the old schoolmates and coworkers and and peers of Dan Freeman in in the movie. You know, he had trouble. Did, did he get any of them? I mean, he got a prostitute, he got gangbangers, but. He never did manage to turn. Um, yeah, he shot him, didn't he? Right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think he got even one. I thought he was going to. He get could never one. offer them more than what they had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, um, and that's not really they, true, because I think his ultimate mission would have given them far more than they had. But the fact is. Yeah, but it's such a gamble. You're against yeah, you know, the United right. States oh, government. Sure. Y- y- yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think the main difference is that um, what they were willing to um, reject the revolution for, at least to me, made a certain amount of sense. Like, you know, you're coming from one or two generations out of slavery. Um, You're probably the first generation to get out of uh, poverty or get some kind of stability. You got a good union job. Uh, You're going to be able to put your kids in college. So, I mean, I can understand that, but this current set of analogous people... They're just doing this for like freelance jobs and, and retweets. A lot of them, like like they're chasing down publications to get paid. Uh, these are jobs and positions that, um, okay, say you get to work on Joe Biden's campaign. Okay, that's a couple of months. What are you gonna do after that? Then you're gonna hustle for, um, hopefully some some gigs at New York Times or whatever. They're not gonna be staffed. Like um, to go back to what we were saying before about how. 
I think the mechanisms and the values and the types of people are still there, but um, everything's gotten cheapened. Like, like the values are even like like less. And I think that's best to do what California uh, California Carbocation was saying about how existence and work seems so dire that people are willing to kind of um, gamble for fame in the least way just not to deal with that grinding uh, state of the square world right now. Like, I, I think the square world is the least rewarding it's ever been. In the boomer days, uh, getting a square job, you can get a house at 25 and kids by um, 30, you know, working in a factory. And, and your, your day was done at 5. And you also have a retirement, you know. Yeah, up. yeah, and you also have a retirement. I mean, these these people are throwing away the revolution for, are, are rejecting the revolution for, like, way, way less. Well, and I think another thing is that, you know, blue checks, new blacks, whatever you want to call them, they're also, sadly, the ones who are setting the terms of the dialogue, both internally and externally. And to try to dig out of that hole by even having the sort of conversations we have, we're having right now, really sort of really is very difficult because everything is being defined on their terms and they're the ones who are being looked at by people in power and their voices are being elevated in a way that it makes it seem like it's the natural state of things it's true and i, I wanted to um for a while too because if you look back at the 60s we herald people like malcolm x and martin luther king now even marcus Garvey, but back then they were not very popular so i think they were facing those same battles of you know dealing with the middle class the black middle class that, that, that we see right now. I don't think this is anything new at all. Yeah, I don't think there's anything new except uh, how much more pathetic I think the black middle class has kind of um, become, you know? Like, like say what you will about the old black middle class of, like, Pullman porters and stuff. Maybe they weren't as glamorous as someone who gets to um, interview a presidential candidate, but they were getting something more tangible, I think. You know, a, a, right. a, a, living and, wage yeah. a living wage in a retirement. It wasn't as glamorous as being famous, but you know, like. Well, and, yeah. and I'm also and, gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on the the fame and visibility of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King when they were alive. I mean, both were on national TV all the time. Martin Luther King, just on the strength of the March on Washington, with hundreds of thousands of people there. They were very prominent figures, not only yeah, in the United States, but internationally. Well, not popular in terms of like image, but yeah. in terms of like being liked and agreed with. Exactly. Uh, yeah, a lot of black people polled at the time. Uh, like, like nowadays, a big joke in the black community is how everyone acts like they were marching with King or was down with Malcolm. But at the time, a lot of the actual discourse was, these crazy dudes are going to get us all killed. And, and they were actually had very low approval ratings in the black community compared to what people think they did. Uh, I see. I, I misunderstood. Yeah. And uh, to follow the historical thread, uh, the movie came out uh, a month before uh, the OPEC embargo, which sent gasoline prices, uh, like a, a barrel of oil went from $3, uh, I think a barrel, to, to $12 a barrel, which is... It's crazy to think of now, considering like, uh, like a gallon costs, uh, like, I don't know, about two dollars right now. But so the fuel costs quadrupled overnight, like a month after the movie was was released. Wow! And, and you don't you don't want this movie teach like 
not necessarily teaching, but encouraging people to, you know, show unrest and that kind of thing when uh, people are waiting in line uh, for days at a time for gasoline. And I don't think teaching is too strong a word. Like, I noticed you kind of corrected yourself. Like, you thought maybe you were overstating what the movie was doing. But I think the movie, I think it is fair to say it was teaching uh, some practical um, tips. I think, I think it's, not, it's not too much of a stretch to say. Yeah, and also demystified revolution at the scale that would have to happen in the United States. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. definitely. So, um, I, I think uh, that if the TV show is going to come out and like, what, what, what's the timeline on that next year? Um, actually, I don't know because now with COVID, who knows? What I found was an old article and it was from 2019. I noticed a lot of things that were greenlit are kind of but I think it was supposed to be 2021. Let me let me let me double let me double check to see what the latest on it is. Well, and sadly, I'm sure they'll be taking many of their cues from the post George Floyd protests, and they'll do it in such a hackneyed way. Oh yeah, it'll be un- it'll be unbearable. It, yeah, it probably will. But uh, I I I, I want to say that it might not be released at all because uh, when when you think about uh, you know the unrest that's coming. Uh, mm, in some right. countries right now, uh, you know, people are waiting in line for days for gasoline. You know, once that hits the United States, you're not going to want, you know, a remake of a property that uh, encourages, you know, the kind of rebellion. Because people might be interested in the original property and they might go back and see it. Okay, okay. here's the latest I found on it. The last article is from September 2019 that I could find. And somebody named was hired to who worked on 24 legacy and ra- and, and raising and raising dion uh to develop the tale so lee daniels isn't directly um writing it he's uh he's optioned it but he hired someone called lee dana uh jackson so it's going to be um a woman but when i check her her name when i search her name um I see her working on a bunch of other stuff. Uh, she's working on a Stephen King and Joe Hill uh, novel adaptation and some other stuff. So it makes you wonder if she's um, either it's not happening anymore or she's moved on or she's still working on it, but it's on the back burner. So, yeah, I haven't seen anything about it since 2019. I don't know if that means that it's it's uh, dead. You know, the other thing I was thinking about was if you look at this guy in the movie, he was working, he, he, he made a total shift and he kind of eliminated his dual consciousness. Think about it, he's going to work at the CIA, which is the closest you can get to Empire, you know? They do the stuff that Empire once done but won't, doesn't even want to talk about doing. And he's willing to expose himself and learn the tricks of the trade and actually do those things. But because he was slighted, you know, because of his race, he, he turned off that dual consciousness and he at that point he just realized I'm not an American I'm just a black man so I'm going to fight the system you know I feel like a man in this day and age would have just taken that job and pushed the button for the photocopy for 50 years yeah you know? it, oh, oh, it, oh for sure I mean a, I a lot of people like, would have done that back then too but I think now yeah. especially people would definitely do it yeah I, and I feel like back then black I think I feel like black people in America have lost something like they they were shedding that double consciousness and understanding that, you know, after half a millennia of garbage, you know, we're not, there's a million of us in prison, you know, now, we're not, so the 13th doesn't work, 
we don't have equal protection under the law because they fire at will. 14th doesn't work. And since Obama came and left, voting rights and the gerrymandering and all these crazy ID laws and all this stuff, so 15th doesn't work. We're, we're back at, that, just, that leaves you back at Dred Scott, you know? You have no human rights that these people need to, to, to recognize. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and we're at that point, and we all really, honestly, whether you were born here or you came here, you damn well know it, yet we will still do nothing but fight for a buck. We don't even care about broaching and approaching those issues anymore. You know, it, it, something's changed inside of the people here, you know? Yeah, uh, Phil, I think one of the things that your comment brings to mind is I'd be curious to, to hear what folks who are really sort of involved with it and embrace the ADOS movement, what their analysis would be of this movie and also a possible uh, contemporary version. Well, um... Is anybody in here who who's active in the ADOS movement? First of all, I'm not. I'm not active. I I, <laughs> I, I I've seen a lot of Vets videos. Uh, I generally agree with her. Um, I think ADOS is sort of uh, the political movement, and we still haven't you know come up with a social movement to get everyday people involved. Um, but uh, yeah, I. I think uh, Ados I, is always talking about like um, like who's trustworthy, who's putting in the work, um, you know, who's got the right plan, um, and they're very against celebrity, very against um, uh, fame. Uh, this movie doesn't have any of these modern, uh, I guess, problems in it as much as it's just. Uh, as someone, like, as, someone from doing... the, as someone from the outside who's not part of the um, ADOS movement or who's not ADOS I will say one thing that I think uh, from the outside is not pulling my place but I would say one thing that I think the ADOS movement I think would have to look at at this phase is keep an eye on what Bill Fletcher was talking about about people who are coming in because they have some kind of um personal issues or gripes or or mental problems because I think um, right now it's just growing and it's just a big umbrella and some people with the ADOS hashtag in their name or under the ADOS umbrella just seem to be there because they want to bash um, immigrants or attack people and I think when you start because now they're doing local ADOS movements and, and local uh, ADOS chapters and stuff like that, but yeah, it's 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 a recipe for disaster. It, it might get like uh, yeah, astroturf, yeah. like Black Lives Matter. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Some of these people have to be screened out. I think some of the people are sincere, but they're just in it for the wrong reasons. All they want, like there's one guy arguing with me, saying that there are no Black American divestors. It's all just. Uh, he was talking about he was using names like coconuts or banana peels. Uh, to get said they're all like West Indian, and I was like. And I gave him a bunch oh, of names, names of people. I showed, I, showed, I showed him some divestors. And this girl's like, yeah, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I showed their bio. He goes, oh, she's not, she's not American. I'm like, she's from Raleigh, North Carolina. This other's from Virginia. It's a very good chance that they're not Nigerian. Wait, like, is, is that pronounced Rayleigh? 
Oh, I have, I have no idea. Is that how it's pronounced? I don't know. I, I think I think that's really? how it's... Oh, oh, so so so, <laughs> yeah. so so really, North Carolina and some people from uh, different parts. But this guy just wanted to just keep uh, every single tweet he did was: Is this person West Indian? Is this person African? Right, denial. Yeah. Well, Candace Owens, she came out as. Uh, uh, she's from the West Indies or from the Virgin Islands, I think. She, like yeah. St. Thomas, that's where her parents are from, or something like that. Or at least one of them. Uh, if, if, not, if, if not both sides she of her, she was... if not both sides oh, of her, okay. fa- if not both sides of her family, at least one side of her family is definitely West Indian, and she's identified as Caribbean at least. Um, yeah, she's when, when describing uh, herself. I'm not saying I'm not saying. <laughs> oh, she's she's vile, but I'm not saying like like what I was. Uh, but I understand your point. They can't all be uh, West Indian or Caribbean or whatever. But, but but also you have to eventually move past that. Like 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 let's say all of them were, like like uh, like say Diamond and Silk. You find out that they're actually Jamaican. Like 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 no matter what they look like, they're all whatever. Like like if you're in this movement just to vent about um, immigrants, the immigrants, well, yeah yeah, then you're not gonna move move past that. You've got some kind of issue. You've come here with this. Um, issue because this person was clearly like um, a little bit off, a little bit off the rocker because the amount of denial that I kept trying to give you to say because I was like yo, oh, man, I th- I think that I think that might be a problem is that they're going to have to screen out some some people who are giving like like the movement on social media like like a like a bad name I don't know. Well, you're, you're not gonna like. You're not gonna elevate those people, and you're you're uh, like once you sort of get actual leadership, um, you know they're gonna have to stand on their own, and they're gonna have to um, prove themselves, I guess. And until we get to that point where people are proving themselves and you know separating out, you're gonna have those uh, social media people who are uh, you know stuck on one thing and are obsessed with something that isn't really beneficial or anything like that. I I would say um, the whole thing about immigration, it's it's weird because so many of these, um, like all, all, all of these Latin American countries, they have like immigration laws and I, I can't think, like I don't think a large uh, number of them have birthright citizenship like the United States. And uh, one one thing the uh, Eros like I, I saw a talk by an Eros chapter in I believe it was Los Angeles talking about uh, the problem with uh, Central or just Latin American gangs uh, you know attacking black people in sort of this uh, I guess new settlerism and uh, you know to be to be concerned about um, I don't know Caribbeans West Indians. Do, doesn't make any sense to me when you, when you actually have uh, vi- violent elements, you know, harming black people, and then there's like the competition for jobs, which isn't you know violence in and of itself, but it, it's a it's an issue to have you know uh, low skilled labor in your population, like be such a large part like uh, black men uh, being low skilled labor and then having to compete with. Uh, I think uh, all that, I, yeah. I think all that is very valid and and actionable and and practical stuff. Like the problem is that uh, some of the people that I'm seeing 
don't really want to talk about that. They're just yeah, they just want to vent frustration at uh, the Caribbeans, right? Yeah, yeah, or, or, or even if it's the, or even if it's the, the Latinos, they're not even talking about the um, they're not even talking about the practical things Latinos do, which is like uh, undercut them in the labor market or do all the violence. Like you know, they're just um, talking about like weird things about dating, about dating and colorism and and things that okay. I think are just kind of like absurd um, unhelpful yeah 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 uh, it, yeah it's not it's not real politics you know and, but 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 when i watch when i watch events videos you know, event video doesn't talk about stuff like that like these people kind of come come into it like for example do you ever see events video where she was talking about um something to do with black men and then some people there were some like ados like divestors who were calling in i don't know if anybody saw this one I saw that one. Yeah, yeah and, and the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This woman, this woman said that black men only want to sit up in jail and yeah, yeah, get, they, they, get three they square like meals. Yeah, they, 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 they like it. They like it in jail. Her. Yeah, yeah. They criticized I, her for being like race first. Uh, that's in quotation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I think that she's gonna have to do more of that, like screen out like more people who are in it for, for like the wrong reasons. Because I was wondering too, like, why is she in it for? And I'm like, maybe she just. Doesn't she actually hates black men? She's a divester. She has all these things, but maybe she hates immigrants more. So she just hopped on board, hopped on board for that, you know. And I think that's kind of from the outside. Well, I think I think that's gonna be the next step is to get rid of like weird divesters and other. Well, uh, yeah, she got from, over for an immigrant at a at a job, and she's like, "Black people need to stick together." Black men are still evil. <laughs> well, one of the things I've noticed, and the reason why I got introduced to Breaking Brown was through Yvette's uh, appearance on Champagne Sharks. One of the things I noticed about the way she handles callers is that she's constantly drawing lines with respect to what's acceptable and what's not, and developing it as she goes along, which is a good thing. You know, she lets people say some wild shit sometimes. However, I see her constantly, you know, figuring out, you know, what should be permissible and what shouldn't, what what deserves deeper pushback and what's just like, okay, I'll just let this go and get the next caller in. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I honestly respect uh, how uh, candid she can be uh, without, like, fighting some of these crazy people. Yeah, the thing I noticed about it, at least with my knowledge of this, is when I, I put on my white man's face when I when I ask this, it's like I'm not really clear with the whole movement. White people, when you confront them with any kind of issue, the first thing they'll ask you as well is, "What do you want?" You know what I mean? And outside of reparations and all that stuff, all the other things, it, there is no real clear self-determining mission inside of anything that they talk about. So. In a way, I just feel like it's a self-defeating movement because if somebody were to even, you know, satisfy you and cut you a check, yeah, they control the entire economic system, they could cause hyperinflation and make your money worthless. They could raise interest rates so if any financial transaction you pay, it gets it gets eroded. There's so many levers and stuff that can be pulled and to, to, to be so limited in what they're asking for and not also be and be also be quite nebulous about you know, the direction that they have for the people that they want to join their movement. I just feel like it's it, it, things like that can't be taken seriously. And it just becomes an artificial wedge between, you know, black Americans that are for it and black Americans that aren't for it. And then also all the black Americans that aren't even included in it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, so. I, I, I disagree. Having listened to the show, I, I, I disagree. I mean, I, I think that on a number of occasions, Yvette and Tone have talked about not just being reparations, not just being financial reparations, but that there mm -hmm. being a number of policies put in place to essentially put black people where they should have been after Reconstruction. And the idea that policies that lift all boats, boats, what that does is essentially solidify blacks on the bottom. If you mm -hmm. give a universal jobs guarantee, black people benefit from that, but then they're stuck in jobs that are low paid jobs. And all of the benefit, accrued benefit that white families have had over the decades that they're able to lock in before these universal plans, universal systems move in, they get to keep, but we start at zero. Yeah, so, but my point is, is their goal to have equality in a system that's been unequal to them for half a millennia? Because if that's the case, that's never going to happen. No, it's not, it's not an equality argument, it's an equity argument. It's yeah. giving, black, giving black people what they need to be where they're supposed to be, as opposed to making them equal. Um, also, yeah. I, also, I suppose, I like, also, like, I suppose, what they're owed. I just want to add that too. Like, what not, not just what yeah. they need, but what they feel they're owed. They're, uh, yeah, I get that. But so, my point is, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is this: if they give you what you are owed, it would have to be, a, it has to be sovereignty, because that's just a natural progression of people that would be, you know, that that have suffered so much for so long and being treated like practically non-citizens all the way up until this very day. You well, know, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you guys. Let me ask you guys this: Can a certain amount of money buy you a certain amount of political power and sovereignty, or is there a disconnect between the two? Like, 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 like for example, does having more money give you more leverage in eventually um, getting sovereignty? I mean, because because one of the, one of the yeah. things that that anti-capitalists like to say is that rich people have access to better politics uh so um if that's true then does the money lead to uh more sovereignty what do you guys think no of course not because this is that whole marxist class race argument you know what you give you can give somebody all the money in the world and then when they walk in so walk in somewhere to spend it you say i'm sorry your money's no good here you know it you can't buy freedom you know, I, I, I think I disagree as well. I think uh, that I think that once you uh, like once you sort of build up black society to the level of white society, once they have, you know, the sort of um, the economic, uh, you know, material, uh, political capital, you know, it, that that basically is sovereignty. And that's what they've been trying to keep from us the whole time. You know, if, if you think about, like, where whites are now, like, they own businesses that hire illegal immigrants uh, and, you know, pay them low wages. Where do you think blacks would be in this system if we had been given reparations? We'd be in the same place as these whites. We'd be hiring illegal immigrants. And, you know, then then now you can finally, not, like, once you've finished with the race issue, like, where would we be if we had gotten what we deserved, then you can deal with the class issue of uh, how do you, you know, make sure that everyone has um, opportunities and can sort of meet their full potential. And th that's basically, uh, I would say, like the next step. But you can't, 
disconnect. Yeah, I want to ask something about the example of the person with money who still gets treated bad when they spend in the store. That also has to do with the collective too, because that person who has money and is black is still viewed as a major outlier. So it's easy for them to get lumped in or assumed to be the same as that um, poor black person. But also that person, the outlier, they don't have other rich black people to do politics with. So their politics, like the Oprah's of the world, Oprah has never been interested in a, a group black politics. She's just interested in um, occasionally dipping her toes into um, white politics. But if you increase the collective state of um, black people financially, someone might not be as quick to dismiss a black person that walks into a store as not belonging there because now black isn't as synonymous group-wise with uh, poverty. Or maybe black people now have more black people with capital to pull their capital with to get... Um, because rich white people don't get political power just by being rich. They, they exercise. They exercise. They pull together. They lobby. And I feel like our rich black people don't really do that, at least not for black causes, because there's just not enough of them on the same page or not enough of them uh, in existence. If you have black Americans with money in America, that doesn't solve the black problem because the black problem is not, well, it's not an American problem. It's a global problem. There's 1.2 billion black people that still effectively oppressed in the harshest ways to this day, either directly or indirectly. ISDN laws, all kinds of silly stuff, you know, that, that left. So, you, for example, European colonizers left but they left behind legal systems that reinforce all the policies that they had when they were colonized, the only things that everybody got a flag, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree, yeah, but I, I, mean, I do think you have to start um, somewhere. And I, yeah, I'll, I'll say this may sound cold, but I don't care. I mean, I think black people, unfortunately, have yet to be, have the level of, black people in the United States, a level of selfishness that every other group has had historically in the United States. And I don't think there's any, anything wrong with being self-interested Particularly when no one else has had our interest at heart. Recognizing that national struggle, though, that is inherent. Like I think one of the problems, though, is like within America, is you then get subsumed within the kind of settler project, right? Like the project of America is is creation of like the amalgamation of all these various European mongrels, right, and turning them into white people, right, and. And if you kind of join in in that project, like your well-being is like tied within, like I feel like the well-being of of whiteness and like I don't know. I I personally I mean I'm very biased. I see America as the greatest enemy of of ever. Uh, so I'm definitely biased. So one thing one thing I would say in response to you is. Um, well, actually, to everybody, I think I'll throw it out to everybody, not just not just uh, Gavin, but uh, also is Gav short for Gavin? I keep calling you Gavin. Right? Yeah, no, you're totally you got it. Okay, cool. Um, I think Nigerians are an interesting example because I don't think Nigerians really have a global black consciousness. Uh, they don't even really have a Nigerian consciousness. People don't really realize this about Nigerians. If anyone's Nigerian in the room, uh, you can confirm this. But I don't think what I'm saying is controversial. Um, when talking to outsiders, they talk about Niger and Nigerian, but amongst themselves, they're actually very tribal. Like, like they really identify amongst themselves as Euro. I'm Yoruba, or I'm this, I'm yeah. that, and 
it doesn't really seem to kind of bother them. They don't really seem to be hung up on even other Africans or the the black um, identity. I'm not saying it's a good thing in the long run, but I do notice that they're making like a lot of big strides and no one really kind of puts the same pressure on them uh, to think about all of the black people that I notice gets put on black Americans. Like, like they don't really get shamed the same way. But what's even more interesting to me is I notice like Nigerian Americans when they kind of criticize uh, ADOS people, they'll be telling them to think of stuff or keep things in mind that I know they know Nigerians don't talk about. Like, you know, I know they don't tell their parents, hey, um, uh, dad, what about all, all black people across the globe? Like, like it's very interesting that, that even when, when they themselves are shaming uh, ADOS people, they're saying stuff that I'm sure they know themselves that um, they can't pull on their own Nigerian relatives and I, I wish we had a Nigerian person in the room to kind of uh, well, bounce yeah, it off. I, that I was, for me, I was specifically speaking to more the idea of like sovereignty uh, and the idea of kind of like not only like having the level of wealth and like a kind of generalized level of wealth, but also having like complete control over institutions like top to bottom, uh, I think is like is massively important. Oh, to, uh, oh, oh, to, I, add, to add to your sovereignty point, I mean, a lot of Nigerians do have plans to go back to Nigeria when they're done in America or send money back home. So that might go toward your sovereignty argument that, that, that maybe their plan isn't sovereignty in America, but to make money yeah. here and then... Well, can, can yeah. go ahead and ask real quick. Mm -hmm. um, does, can anybody just kind of paraphrase high, le high level? What is Nigeria's anti-colonial history? That's has, a good has question. There been, has I don't know. there been any sort of like, you know, we talk about um, apartheid, you know, South Africa and how, you know, um, certain forces in Angola, in Namibia and South Africa, as long along with Cuba, came together to kind of fight um, apartheid. Uh, you also have a lot of uh, movements that took place in Africa, in Ghana, uh, Burkina Faso. Um, but I have never run across any substantive literature that outlines anti-colonialism in Nigeria. That's a great point. I don't know. They're, they're a Commonwealth nation, right? Currently, yeah. right? Yeah. I think they had they had the Biafran War when they were fighting against each other and tried to separate right. you know, create one separate Biafran state, and that right. got defeated. That got squashed. But that's as much as I know about that. There's a book called The Anti-Colonial Struggle in Nigeria, and it came out in 2018. Maybe I can get that guy as a guest because yeah, I honestly don't don't know. That's a great. That's a great question. I've never even heard it really um, discussed. I mean, yeah. the, fact that, the, the fact that there's a book called The Anti-Colonial Struggle in Nigeria alone makes you think that there, it, there must have been something because, you know, yeah. the book has to be more than 100 pages, you know, but... I'm going to buy that book, uh, T, and I'm really interested in, in that history because, you know, although we may have an anti-colonial struggle, was it as an armed struggle? Was it um, a struggle of you know long term capitulation or you know what I mean? So yeah, 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 yeah because stuff like that shapes national identity, so it's important right. to know. Yeah. And I would also say, I mean, too. I would also say, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time in South Africa, and one of the things that was uh, a little shocking is that post uh, apartheid era, that sort of implied and sometimes explicit solidarity with civil rights movement and anti-colonialism really seems to have evaporated. South Africa is very, very tribal. And 
not only tribal, also nationalistic when it comes to tribes outside of South Africa. And many of the people who I've talked to really outside of just popular culture felt no sort of kinship with Americans in terms of our shared sort of struggle. And I think part of that has to do with the difference between being a majority fighting a minority in South Africa as opposed to being a minority in the United States fighting the majority as part of a longer struggle than the, the struggle against apartheid. Um, so does does the uh, does oh, so you mentioned national? Are we uh, talking about like like black South Africans? Would it be the Zulu? Or, I, I don't. I don't know wait, hold on. I'm watching something real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but um, I've been I've been um, recording this, but I'm about to I'm about to leave, so I'm going oh. to um, stop recording it. I wanted to just kind of record all the um book club sessions or movie movie sessions so people who want to hear discussions on a movie who are patrons can can hear it so um it's been going pretty good i hate to stop it um here so i was gonna say two things i'm gonna stop it here if anybody uh, knows how to record on their end and wants to uh record further um go on go on ahead but um, does anybody want to put any final thoughts about um, the movie before I disconnect? And then you guys can go back to the South African uh, discussion. I think a remake would be trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I would say in general, I'm sick of remakes and I'm sick of movies and TV shows that build off another property. Get your own idea. I, I would uh, say that... You know, the FBI suppressed the movie, um, and at the time, uh, as I said earlier, there was this uh, problem with the price of oil going up, and you don't want people rebelling when uh, like times are tough and your infrastructure is weak. So I, I don't think we'll see uh, many movies like this in the future. I, I don't think um, our, our government wants us. Yeah, I won't be, I won't be surprised that... I wouldn't be surprised uh, if under this current climate, the project is dead. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. The only thing I want to say is that the only reason why it would be dead is because we're still suffering because we can't tell our own stories. We don't own our own infrastructure to effectively do so. And like I said, that's part of the problem. And that's why I feel like liberation for us should be a goal. If we own our own movie studios and our own entertainment industry, this wouldn't even be a conversation point. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, point. I think I think I'm gonna um, end it there and and leave. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, if anyone has the means, Jewish, to um, record the rest of the conversation, I'd love to hear the stuff about uh, South Africa. If not, someone can paraphrase it to me uh, after. Uh, one last thing: if anybody in the future wants to uh, do the recording of these sessions on their end, because I'm on the East Coast, so it's hard for me to sit through all the way to the very end. But, but if any of you guys knows how to use OBS or whatever, um, I'll send you over the instructions on how to do it. Because I think um, recording these book clubs and these um, movie clubs would be, pr would be uh, pretty valuable to people who can't uh, make them. I think it'll also get more people to join in the future ones, too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Let me know anyone who wants to uh, record these in the future. I'll look into it if anybody else wants to, wants to as well. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Uh, well, um, well, well, I have the link on how to do it. So anyone who's interested, just 
contact me on Discord, and then I'll I'll send you the link that I use to teach myself. It, it, it took me 15 minutes, and I, and I had it all set up. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a good night. Thanks for stopping by. All right, man. Good night. Good night.